So before we go into this tough episode, which it's a pretty tough, raw, real episode, I do just want to, you know, acknowledge a thing that I've actually shown on my Instagram stories, if you watch it all, but the tools that are helping me get back into movement in my body during this transitional healing time and just something to start to move without getting too demanding. And that's our optimal body therapy kit that we put together, which really includes everything that I would use with myself, my patients throughout all my programs. I made sure I didn't add something I didn't think was necessary and really kept it, you know, organic and authentic to what I actually really use and what I recommend people use. And it's been so supportive during this time to help me get back into movement through all of my range of motion, but continuing to improve and increase that stability, that control, and just have that dynamic resistance through movement. It really helps to just get into those stabilizing muscles. We also, I did record a full low back program that is included. So when you buy the kit, there's actually a QR code that is included in the kit and it goes to this seven day back program, which has two exercises per day. And again, you know me, it's not just about the exercises, but it's really about educating you how to use the tools so that you can start to feel something different in your body. And it doesn't have to be just about back. This really, all these exercises would really help with everything. And it was so supportive for me to use the other day. And I'm going to continue to use this kit to start to ease back into movement during this time. Now, it is available on Amazon. We're going to drop the link below in the show notes. So please, please go check it out. But you can also just type in. So if you go to your Amazon um, app, you could just type in the optimal body workout equipment, and it should be one of like the top results that is starting to pop up. Or if you type in portable home therapy equipment, I I would suggest you use the optimal body in there because it'd probably help it to pop up more. But an easy way to just go on your phone right now and check it out. And hopefully you grab it, start using it and start feeling something different. Now deep breath as we go into this episode. So today we're talking about some recent tragic event that Dom and I have been through and trigger warning for anyone not ready to listen to pregnancy loss or wanting to hear someone's story expert and go into it raw and deep because reality is I'm still going through it. It's recent. Still happening. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's a lot of reason why I want to have the whole conversation about it. One, it does help you and I when we're able to talk about our yes. grief, talk about our story and not hold it in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two, I think I've been told from so many that it does help that I'm sharing it. Yeah. I've seen, I've had people reach out to me too saying, this is so helpful. Thanks for being so brave and sharing. And it, it's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. <laughs> like, um, I think that the sharing for us, um, it, it really is a growing of that healing community and part of our healing process. And, you know, with so many things in life, we share. And so just being able to share and be vulnerable in it has been very helpful, I think. And one of the first things that I saw when the process started happening 
was even when I didn't know quite yet that I was going through a miscarriage, but I saw bleeding. I what I am a part of Flow, the app. So FLO, that's what I was using to kind of track the pregnancy. And immediately they have a section on there that's secret chats. And so I found some about women talking about bleeding through pregnancy and some, you know, it went into miscarriage and some it didn't. And so it was just, it's just supportive to find the, the resources and people who are going through it and are in it. And then especially after I knew then that it was confirmed we were having a miscarriage, uh, I started listening immediately to the podcast of people I knew had been through it or reading the Instagram post from people that I know had posted about it. And though I read it then, I don't know that I actually comprehended it then. I just felt sorry at the time, but you yeah. don't know unless you're going through. That's been a big lesson. Absolutely. And I know that one of the things you really want to talk about both for yourself, but also for anyone listening is like, the things you wish you would have known mm-hmm. going in or um, and I know that there's a lot that we can kind of dig into there but what would you say are some of the things that now if a couple weeks ago you were able to know would, would have been very helpful well immediately it's like the what do you do because you have options and that was the first thing that our midwife we were going the midwife route which is something else entirely that we can talk about on another podcast um but you know our midwife told us you have three options you have the option of taking medication to help the the baby and the tissue pass um you have the option of just laboring on your own Mm-hmm. and going through the process. And you have the option of doing what's called the DNC, which is going under and literally having surgery, which I don't think that is highlighted enough, the impact of you're literally getting put under and they're doing surgery to section out the the tissue, which also then has risk within itself. Yeah. And all the options have risk. And I think that one of the really important things and something that became a frustration for me throughout the process with how some of those things were communicated with us and um, just in general in the medical world, I don't think people get spoken to about the risks of certain treatments. Um, You might have providers who just prefer a certain one and you can just tell in their language that that's... they push you in that direction. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what best. This is where you're at. This is what yeah, this is. is what this best. Is. Do this, do this, do this. And then turns out when we did more research on our own, when we talked to my dad who has experience with this and does this for a living mm-hmm. um, in delivering babies, uh, like he spoke to a lot of the different risks of all of those routes. Yeah. And I'm just like, why, why would they not tell us any of those things? Right. And I still get frustrated about that. I know. And that's also like the self-advocacy piece that we're going to go into a lot, you know, at the toward the other half of this episode, I would say, in in their frustrations and what we had to go through being healthcare professionals and still having to really advocate for ourselves throughout the process. But, you know, that's just something that it's hard 
to think about and talk about when you're so excited that you're pregnant, right? When you're so excited that you just found out you were going to have a boy. <laughs> yeah, we had just just found that out, literally, the week before. And it starts making it so much more real, real and tangible. And, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this little being that I'm going to be able to share my loves with and share my love of movement and sports and music and yeah and that rug just kind of gets pulled you know Mm -hmm. and I think you know no matter where you are along the journey it's a loss even if you some women I know experience miscarriage before they even confirm the pregnancy but they knew that it was miscarriage because of the pain that's another that's the that's the other part that I wish it would be talked about a little bit more. Um, so no matter where you are, no matter if you've had children or not, and I think, again, this is something that we're going to talk into of what to say to someone. But just because you've had children in the past doesn't lessen the loss, the loss that you're currently yeah. experiencing. And that's really huge. And I think whoever hasn't experienced that, but you've been around people, you need to hear that again. Yeah. Um, and the moment that you, for us, the moment that we found out that we were pregnant, it was fast. It was. <laughs> we were not not trying. <laughs> yeah. We weren't preventing um, a baby from being coming into this world. However, we didn't know that it would happen so quickly. Yeah. And very blessed that that was able yeah. to happen. Um, very grateful that that happened so quickly. And then as soon as I, that, that was real, that's, you, I think you get to, not I think, I know you get to call yourself a mother. You know, like the, the moment that you conceive and it is real, it is real for you. Um, yeah. So that's why... I think the other portion that doesn't get talked about it's miscarriage is that miscarriage is the loss of a child. And it's not just the loss of tissue. It's not just something that didn't make it, but it's a being that you were creating. And yeah. that was a part of you and that you felt because you feel such physical changes happening within your body. So it is a... It is a loss no matter how far along, no matter if you got to hold your child or not. It's a loss. Um, And I think the impact of that, I didn't quite understand myself until really experiencing it um, Mm -hmm. myself. And I think that, you know, speaking to that and speaking to how it, it is this loss of your child and it's not just a miscarriage at 11 weeks or what we found out the baby stopped thriving and heartbeat stopped at eight weeks Mm -hmm. I mean that's kind of where we found out it and again this plays into a lot of the things that you don't want to say to somebody going through a miscarriage or you know people going through this is that oh I know that you guys will get through this and have a you know be able to have another one or you'll get over this and have another child I know you'll have a yeah like we we very much so know that we will likely try again and hopefully be blessed with having a child that still doesn't lessen the pain of losing this first child. Yeah. And that is a 
challenge when people say that and what you're realizing is there are truly people that don't and won't ever understand what yeah. it means to feel that and yeah i just i think that it's really important to like we'll talk about a little later like things that you can say to people are a great way of being a, a support yeah <laughs> in a time like that yeah that's huge i have a lot to say about that now <laughs> yeah um and i've thankful for this community too because i've found so many incredible resources available um i've just been like buying books on amazon like crazy and <laughs> um just seeking out ways to to help with the pain not to ease the pain not to make it go away or make it better like i lots of things that we'll dive into of what what people say and I think what what for me at least and for us what what's supportive versus not supportive and I think I hear this a lot with the women that I what I talk to that have been through it as well um so we'll talk about that but I think the other misconception in miscarriage is that you miscarry and it's done and it's done <laughs> and the the impact that your body goes through for so long is not talked about. Um, Absolutely. And I know that for me, there was this, the moment that you find out that your baby's no longer thriving and you're going through a miscarriage, there is this, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What's wrong with my body? I can't trust my body. But something I also really appreciated while I was going through the experience of the, the intense portion of the miscarriage, the, the passing of the baby at large, um, was how proud I am of my body for being able to do yeah. that. So little backstory, I started noticing just a little bit of spotting and bleeding on Tuesday night like super late Tuesday, cried to him a little bit, but we mm -hmm. both, you know, said, oh, some people spot and... Some people experience that throughout pregnancy yeah. and still have healthy, thriving babies to term. And you never know, so... Totally. So we're like, let's just go get an image tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. And this is what's so incredible about my partner and Dom as well, is that I woke up in the morning and he had already tried calling the, the midwife center and getting a hold of a midwife to just start asking the questions of what we do and what they think. Um, so that like waking up and already feeling that kind of support was really incredible as well. And so I then spoke with the midwife and that's when she just was asking me about my symptoms. I didn't really have cramping. By the morning, the bleeding was dry and I didn't have any new blood. So again, I'm trying to stay as positive as possible in my mind. Mm -hmm. And because she said, you know, well, if you're experiencing miscarriage, it would be like the worst period of your life. It would feel extreme, extreme pain and all these other symptoms would come with it. And you'd be bleeding a lot. So she recommended going to get an ultrasound. I just had an ultrasound technician place. Yeah. And that's where they put the baby on the big screen and do all of the exciting 
photos and stuff. But for us, that's when we saw, again, we were like almost 12 weeks, like a few days away from 12 weeks in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so we go in and the woman says, every angle that I'm taking a photo, it appears that the baby's measuring at eight weeks and, and four days. And I should be detecting a heartbeat around it, but I'm not. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I think she was initially not saying anything about that. And then you kind of asked, like, is there a heartbeat? And she said, I should be seeing something pretty strong, you know, right now at 11 weeks. And that's, that's just really when my heart dropped. Mm -hmm. And that was a really challenging moment because that's when it started to become real. Like, this might be happening. Definitely. And then for us, we went to the nearest ER, didn't even think about it. Now that I'm thinking back, I would go to an ER that I know is reputable. Not that it's not reputable, but just an ER that I know is a little bit more open at this time. This is a really hard time in life with the pandemic and so much going on. But to know that friends in L.A. and everyone has a stigma about L.A., but to know that friends in L.A. had their significant other, their partner with them throughout this entire process. And I went into the ER inland where we are in Southern California and Dom was not even able to come into the waiting area. No, they wouldn't let me come sit with you in the waiting area. I continued to I mean, I like pled with some of the people, the security guard at the front desk and just said, like, she is going through an active miscarriage can i not be there as a support person can i not have my vaccination card i was like and now they literally i went i was standing behind the first set of sliding doors and then the security guard comes out and says you need to wait all the way outside and i'm like are you bleeping kidding me like i can't and so that's when the feeling of helplessness really started for me because I couldn't be there to feel like I was even supporting you tangibly. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do my best literally over the phone and from the car throughout this process. But that's where I think I started to develop this sense of like anger and frustration that I'm continuing to feel throughout this process. And that's tough for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's where I just wish, you know, obviously looking back, I wish we would have gone to a different place and had a different OB. That was a crazy thing. Like, the first time I went to, into the ER, so I went twice, went to confirm, get all the testing done. They almost took my blood work twice because they hadn't entered it into the computer. Um, and then to have after that initial ultrasound at the ultrasound technician place to have another ultrasound plus a vaginal ultrasound. It was so traumatic <laughs> to get all of these different levels of confirmation to say, yes, your baby is no longer alive. And you even said, like, I've already had the abdominal ultrasound. Can you not just do a vaginal one or can you not just do something different? I mean, again, we went into the ER not really knowing exactly what they were going to do anyway, but it was. It was just continual confirmation. And then they got the blood work, which, again, ends up being kind of helpful for the next day to see where certain levels are for hemoglobin and whatnot. But it was. It's just continuing to put that on you and then... After you leave the ER, we go right to the OB and she has the ultrasound machine out again. I know. Well, that was so frustrating. And she has access to the records at Corona Regional where we were. That was the frustrating part. So at because I wasn't actively bleeding, this is Wednesday, because I wasn't actively bleeding, 
and going through the active miscarriage portion the first time in the ER, he said, I can't give you any medication. I can't do anything for you. The, o- the OB wants to see you. And this is not my OB because, again, I was going the midwife route. I tried to look at OBs in the area and I did not feel a good connection with anyone because I felt like I was getting treated through a medical process of pregnancy rather than a human who's having creating life. And that's just not the environment that I know that I'd want to be in, especially I know too much. So if I'm delivering in a delivery room with people who are just going through the motions and the procedure, I would say, why are you telling me to do this? No, I'm not going to do that. I would be, I just know that I'd be the worst. So it just, I didn't want to put myself in that environment. And so we go and see a brand new OB that I've never seen. And right away, the technician is like, okay, put on this gown. You're going to do an ultrasound. And I think they were going to do blood work again, too. And I was like, no. <laughs> I got ultrasounds and blood work less than an hour ago. And you have access to them. So done three damn ultrasounds today. Yeah. No. And, and it's already been the most traumatic process. No. Which starts the conversation of advocating for yourself. Again, had we just allowed them to go through with that. And here's where I get into a frustration and an entire soapbox episode of unnecessary medical treatments and procedures that happen. Um, again, I don't, I never want to assume any sort of intent of people just doing things because they want to be able to bill for it or they want to be able to write up a code and send it to your insurance company. But they, they, again, they knew they had these results, these ultrasounds, these, this blood work, and they might say, oh, I sometimes like to do them on my own so I can see something see different, something different or... Or see, which again, okay, that's great. But I, I believe as doctors and as hospitals, we need to be better about telling people and this will put an extra financial burden potentially on you, or this will be an extra thing that you're going to get charged for. This is going to be an extra thing that we're submitting to your insurance and we don't completely know everything that your insurance may or may not cover. You know, this this is one of my whole things in the advocacy for yourself realm that I want to point out is that it it can be important to ask people, do you know or can you find out what I'm going to be financially liable for after doing all this stuff? And that's a really hard thing sometimes to be asking during such a traumatic event or to be paying attention to. Because again, like when all said and done, I want the best thing done for Jen as possible, which in that case to me, the best thing would not to be do to do another ultrasound and financially not doing another ultrasound. So it just bothers me to no end that you walk into the room and they just say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And they give you none of that, what I would consider the risks of, oh, we're doing another ultrasound, which will be traumatic to you. And we would, we would be doing another ultrasound, which is going to cost you more money as well. None of that is said as a potential risk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's so dang traumatic. If it was a different situation where they still had a heartbeat, but they weren't sure how strong it was, or they weren't sure this or that. You know, but you still had a chance of having a viable baby. Yeah, maybe the OB might have a different technique, a different way of seeing, a different reason. But when the diagnosis is already confirmed, yeah, why there's keep, no reason. Why keep piling that on? There's no reason. So, uh, luckily, you know, she came in and said, well, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. I can pull up the records right here. 
And I'm like, yeah. oh, great. Yeah. Oh, great. So you didn't have to. So you do have the records. <laughs> and you and they're, they're so already. accessible to you and you didn't have to do anything for me. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Um, so luckily, you know, we we stood firm on that. And, and that, that was the entire process, asking questions. When I was almost getting blood work done for a second time in the ER, I'm like, why is this happening again? I already had all of this done. And they're like, what? Yeah. And then they start double questioning it. Oh, maybe she has. Maybe I need to look into this a little bit more. And so it's it's hard, but I say you want to be that person who's asking more questions. When I was going to have the abdominal ultrasound, I fought back because <laughs> it was just the technician who came into me. And I said, I talked to the doctor before when I first came into the ER section and he told me we're doing a vaginal ultrasound. So I don't understand why I'm doing an abdominal ultrasound again and then a vaginal ultrasound. Can you please confirm this? And then he had to come in and talk to me and say, the radiologist needs to see all angles to make an, make an adequate diagnosis, which I still think I still have some. I, I still don't agree with that either. Inquiries about. Because <laughs> you can, I'm sure, get an adequate diagnosis of a stillbirth and there's no heartbeat from a vaginal ultrasound. 100%. You can actually hear the heartbeat better through a vaginal ultrasound. Um, yeah. And so, again, I don't exactly agree with that needing, needing to do the that. The need, yeah. Like who needs to have that? The insurance companies. When it comes down to it, we're, we're both doctors of physical therapy. We know what insurance wants to see charted. And that's the reality. They want to see a certain number of tests charted so that they can say this confirmed that you did adequate treatment. And Or, oh, it, the vaginal ultrasound was needed because you had done the ultrasound. So then you did the vaginal where why would you just jump right to the vaginal one? I don't know. All these right. different things that insurance companies might try to say. Yeah. So all of that to say, by the time we saw the OB who I hadn't seen before on Wednesday, luckily they were able to squeeze me in. I will say that. I cried on the phone to the front desk and said, this is my situation. This is what's happening. I don't know if I can wait. I need to know now. And they were able to squeeze me in. So I'm grateful for and that. And they actually let me come back to the room, which they even said, hey, right now we're normally not letting people come into the room. And so they had some level of compassion to allow me as the partner to be in there with Jen. Yeah. And because she said, well, the baby has already grown past seven weeks, I would not recommend laboring on your own or taking the pill because I don't want you traumatically to have to see that. Which, yes, and when you're actually going through the process, I have, for me, it was very different. So she automatically recommended the DNC and said it's which is that like suction like procedure where you actually go under general anesthesia and they consider it a surgery you're in an operating room yeah and so they recommended just can you know she just said you don't traumatically want to go through it i reckon this is what i recommend your past seven weeks this is it and just like that was it <laughs> and this is our and for me red flags are already going up mm -hmm. and i didn't ask a ton of questions in that specific appointment but i just said like is there any merit to just going through and laboring on your own? Because she also, I think, brought up the medication. Like there, she only kind of talked about it as if there were two options there. And then she said, oh, yeah, well, laboring, laboring on your own is going to be just like taking the medication, but worse or whatever. You're going to go through all that trauma and stuff. And, and again, like she's only talking about risks for the one treatment. And then she's only talking about benefits for the other treatment. Mm -hmm. Like 
there usually are always going to be risks and benefits to any different type of treatment or things that doctors should bring up if they're honestly consulting with you about the, the pros and cons of everything. Right. And that's one thing that I was kind of a flag was going up for me saying like, I don't agree with how she consulted with Jen and, and myself being in the room on those options. So then she says, well, we have to, before we can move forward with the DNC and schedule it, we have to, you know, confirm it with your insurance and then get you on my scheduler. So hopefully this was Wednesday. So hopefully Friday or Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and I almost laughed. I said, I'm already starting to spot the baby already hasn't been thriving since eight weeks. And now I'm almost so, at 12. I'm at 12 weeks, essentially. So we're three, three plus weeks. You that. think that my body's just going to wait till Monday? <laughs> I was I was blown away. And she said, listen, if you start having extreme amounts of pain, you're filling up more than two pads of blood, then go to the ER. I'll meet you there and we'll do the DNC. So I'm like, OK, I guess those those are my options. <laughs> yeah. And we so we went home from that and that night it started. Yeah, it was like 4 a.m., 3 a.m. I kind of woke up to you getting out of bed, starting to pace around the room. Yeah. In extreme pain. Extreme pain. And this is where it's, um, it's so interesting because in my mind, I want a natural birth. Um when and if I can actually do that. But when you're laboring a baby that isn't that isn't going to make it and you know that you're never going to hold it, it's like a pain that I don't want to feel. Like I'm in my mind okay going through, at least I think, right? I haven't ever been through it. <laughs> but I can say I think I could be okay, you know, getting my mind ready for the pain that you might feel when you're in labor but with, you know, full term, but laboring a baby that you're never going to be able to hold is a pain that I just want to avoid. So immediately I took a couple at, uh, Tylenol and then I threw them up. <laughs> yeah, because you don't take a lot of anti-inflammatories or anything like that. I don't take anything. And the pain is seriously, the only thing that was helping me in that moment to kind of relieve some of the pressure which sounds crazy but I would go over to our couch that's in our bedroom and I would dig my head into the cushion so that my body's kind of like at this angle with my my feet down and my and I'm bent over with my head in in the pillow and it was almost like it took pressure off of my midline and off of my my abdomen so I could place push pressure into my head and then just kind of let my belly drop and breathe and that and then Dom started rubbing my back and I was like ooh. Yeah, that's a good position. Keep, keep doing that. Keep yeah. doing that. Um, yeah, and on like talking from what is happening in your body, from more like the physiologic angle, like you're starting to labor. Yeah, you're going through contractions. Your body, in its natural process, is understanding that what's inside isn't a viable baby or child anymore, and it's trying to get rid of it yeah. this is the traumatic process that the doctor is like oh you don't want to experience that and i can see where there's merit to saying yeah it's really traumatic to going through that and feeling that in your body right and so we wait until morning 
Yeah. Well, nine. we wait till 9 a.m. when the OB office open and we can call them and tell them, here's what's happening. Can you tell the doctor? Yeah. Can you tell the doctor that we're probably going to go into the ER? Jen had started bleeding a lot more. Yeah. Um, and so we're like, we're probably going to go into the ER based on the pain and how she's feeling. And I was already... I don't want to say upset or anything yet, but already feeling frustrations because I knew that I wasn't based on our experience the previous day that I wasn't going to be able to go in with you. Yeah. And I didn't know how, again, like that, again, my, my feeling of helplessness of not being able to be there, the sadness of knowing what you're going through and that we're losing our baby. A lot of it. So I'm like, first of all, it took a while just to get from the waiting area to a private room in the ER so I'm like pacing the waiting area because yeah, so you're bleeding. You can't sit. And it's hilarious to me that everywhere I went, it was like, have a seat, sit on the bed, lay down. I'm like, you don't think you realize that I'm actively forcefully bleeding. One, you don't want to sit in that. And two, it is the most uncomfortable thing to sit down. Yeah, you I have, have like, to be up and had to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, moving or in a deep squat or bent over or low to the ground like that. Those were the only positions that were comfortable and when I finally was in a room, I would just hang on to the side of the bed cuz there's usually handles on it and I would just sit in a low squat and kind of rock and legs open, relaxing my pelvic floor, telling my body, "You got this. You got this." There was a lot of positive affirmation for my uterus to do its thing. And because we know pelvic floor is more external than what's happening internally. So I knew there's nothing I can really do here. Like I need to allow my uterus to do its thing and to to work the way that, that it's feeling <laughs> like it's working because yeah. it's truly going through like this laboring process. Like to say it's the worst period of your life, mm, I would triple that. <laughs> maybe 10x that I mean it's it's and I've talked to other friends who have been who have had uh, full term labor and and have babies and have had it not in a hospital and through a midwife and and more naturally and and my friend said that she felt like her miscarriage was worse pain and again that could be traumatically and emotionally because you know again you're not holding yeah. This baby at the end, you are processing this baby through your body. Almost like psychologically how it compounds the pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, knowing that at the end of a full-term birth, you're getting to hold your child versus yeah. at the end of this, you know, you don't. And the hard thing was like, again, and I was questioning everything. Why are you doing blood work again? You have all my blood panels from last time. Why is this needing to happen? And I just wanted explanation. And I think it's hard when you're when you have techs or aides coming in and doing these things that they're told to do and they don't have the explanation. So which was great. I had a PA come in and talk to me every single way along the line. And she was actually very human. The most human thing in the ER. <laughs> she was very compassionate. She touched me. Oh, the concept. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't have Dom in there with me. And so she was she was great. She was compassionate. But again, I'm like, you're not an OB. <laughs> I was on speakerphone, but she actually talked to me. Yeah. And said, Dominic, do you have any other questions? Uh, again, just like having that consciousness to try and make you feel like you're being seen. All your questions are being heard. 
involving me as the partner, even though I'm not in the room, like very much so appreciate that from a provider. Yeah. So she was great. And, but there's so much also going on outside in the ER that in my little room where I'm going through this process, I was often neglected. So I came into the ER probably around 9.15. Um, I got medication for the pain at 1.30. And by one o'clock, I could still remember like timelines and everything. By one o'clock, the pain hit so excruciating bad. I was, well, I had already been going to the bathroom and out of the bathroom throwing up because of the pain. And I would come back in and I, I remember at one point I'm crawling out of the room like someone needs to come do something or help me or, or be here. Like something needs to happen. I'm neglected. And they're like, did you fall? <laughs> it's like, no, I just can't stand because <laughs> I'm in so much pain and mm. no one is doing anything and no one's here and no one's like I, I've been neglected in this room for an hour. I was I seriously had a show on because on my phone because I'm just trying to almost distract my mind and be in my body and just breathe into it and all these things. But it hit to a point where it was constant. It wasn't like cramping that came on and off. It was in it. And I remember I finally was able to talk to a friend who had been through this three times. Mm. And she was able to call me when I was in the height of it all. And I even remember I was on the phone with her and we were talking and I said, I need to call you back. I need to throw up. (laughs) And I was throwing up and then called her back. And the reason I called her is because they were still talking and prepping me for to do the DNC. But I'm in this process, right? Like I'm going through my body. It's processing. You're contracting. And so I was talking to her about the risks that we were then hearing from your dad and, you know, what. She had been through all of it, laboring, medication, DNC. So I wanted to know her full experience and her recommendation just based on her processing of going through it. And she said, you know, you sound like you're in it. And I really recommend asking them for an ultrasound before they do a DNC. And so the entire time I'm asking, are they going to do an ultrasound? They're going to do an ultrasound. Everyone's like, I don't know. Have to ask the OB when she gets here. I don't know. We got to see with the OB. And that's, again, like something that's significant is you're bleeding, but you're also passing clots. You're passing tissue. So much. You're going to the bathroom and it's literally just dropping out of me. And I, and I know that that is what the OB was saying. She was afraid of me seeing, but the, beautiful thing again so grateful for my body in so many ways it mostly happened when passing the baby was happening when I was in the toilet and so I didn't have to see a lot of it and I purposely did not look for it and I am just so grateful for how that was happening and how my body was able to to do that and though traumatic and though super painful it's doesn't have to be something that you're visually looking for at least not in my experience yeah yeah i I don't know i was kind of spacing out thinking of something in my head just (laughs) of later what happened when she removed the remainder of the tissue um but we'll get to that part of the story uh because 
I know that why I say that's significant is because this is us knowing like, okay, you are passing tissue. Like my dad asked that, has she been passing any tissue? If so, like you might not need to go through with the DNC because you're already through the process. So that's right. why, again, you're asking these questions and why we continue to push back almost when they transfer you to the OR and they start doing these things like, or the OR prep room, you know, and say like, okay, now you need to meet with the anesthesiologist. Now you need to meet with all these people. And every step along the way, we're saying, okay, we're not sure we're going to do this yet. Yeah. I still need to talk to the OB. I still, we still have some questions before we go through with this procedure. And that's what was frustrating is that all that they knew was what they saw in my chart, right? Which of course, and so the PA did check me at one time to see what she could see. Do and like a pelvic exam or a vaginal exam. So she laid me on my back and propped a, a bucket upside down under my pelvis to lift my pelvis even more. So if we think of gravity <laughs> and, and when I'm actually releasing the baby and releasing the tissue is when I'm sitting with gravity assisted on the toilet, right? And the only way that I'm able to be somewhat comfortable is when I'm in that deep open squat, again, pelvis lower than my shoulders. So when she puts me on my back and lifts my pelvis, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Gravity's bringing any tissue that might be coming down there up. Or in the vaginal canal, yeah, back up towards the uterus and the cervix. Exactly. And so when she checks me, all she says, oh, it looks like blood, which was also the most uncomfortable thing because I said, you're going to put me in this gown and lay me down and I'm just going to bleed everywhere. And she was like, it's okay. We know this. Like it's, it, you know, we can take care of blood. And I'm just like, you first. can take Won't care of last. blood. Yes. And I don't want to be bleeding everywhere. Like, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to be in this massacre of my own blood everywhere. And so I was so careful of how I was maneuvering and, and laying and all this stuff. But all she saw was blood. So all she noted was blood. She didn't note that any tissue had been passing. So by the time the OB gets there at 4.30, which is more than 12 hours through this process, all they note is well, the PA says that it was just not bleeding. passing tissue. I'm like, says who? Like from that one two minute pelvic exam yeah. where she can't see anything actively coming out of you? Like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's when she says that. And I was like, no, nope. she's been passing tissue all day long. She's like, oh, oh, the notes didn't say that. I'm like, yeah, because nobody's in the bathroom with Jen. Nobody's asking those types of questions. Um, so again, continuing to try and communicate everything you can with people when they're in the room to try and avoid something like that. But, you know, had things happened differently, I don't know if you, you would ever even needed to leave the ER. I was glad you ended up leaving the ER because that's when I got to come in. Yeah. Also, when they gave you medication, I started trying to call people and say like, hey, she was just given morphine. And I knew that you could probably still make medical decisions yourself. But I was trying to say like, She's on morphine and can't make medical decisions herself. <laughs> Let me in the damn room. Um, and Which, by the way, morphine did not help at all. And I just talked to a girlfriend who went through the exact same thing. Literally, we were tracking the same. Had no idea. I didn't know she was pregnant. She didn't know I was pregnant. 
literally the same day on Wednesday. We both found out. We were both in the same phase. The baby, like all of it. Yeah. So crazy. And she said herself, like, they gave me morphine. It literally did nothing. And I said, I know. Does nothing other than make you feel weird on top of the pain that you're going through. And Yeah, I like felt it through my body, but literally nothing changed yeah. the pain that was happening. And again, they come in and just say like, okay, don't worry. We gave you the good stuff. Like we started you on morphine. And then we also gave you anti-nausea medication. Because which, you're throwing up. Because you're throwing up, which again, no. I'm throwing I'm up because of pain. Not throwing up because I'm <laughs> nauseous. I'm throwing up because I'm in pain. And I know and can appreciate that sometimes they give anti-nausea medication yes. with morphine because morphine can make you nauseous. Yes. Again, all sorts of risk benefit things that I think should be communicated prior to just saying, we're, we gave you morphine and not anti-nausea medication or we're going to give you this. Like, why? And do I need the anti-nausea medication before I feel the side effects of the morphine? Are you just giving it to me because I was throwing up? All sorts of things that I'm like, okay, were those necessary? <laughs> were those medically necessary? The morphine, okay, yes, you're having pain and they wanted to try giving you something for that. But just layers to how things happen in hospitals where people can get given things that they otherwise may have not consented to if they would have been given all the information and it adds to the bill. Yeah. And I again, I, I'm only bringing up the bill because 40% of bankruptcies in our country are because of medical costs and medical care. And I think it can be a very significant emotional, financial burden, relationship burden, if you suddenly get dropped with a massive medical bill that could have been avoided in some aspects. Yeah. Or at least communicated, like helped. Like it, it's just nothing that gets communicated at all. So finally, when the OB gets there, Dom is now in the room and... I'm like literally gown on, the headpiece on. Anesthesiologist had already come in. Yeah, everything. I had electrodes on my chest and we're still like, this is probably not happening. Electrodes, <laughs> so, you had cuffs on your feet for yeah. like the pneumatic pumping for yeah. swelling so to prevent clots. all prepping me and she even had the paperwork to sign off on the consent and we both said no, not signing off on it. And the nurse was amazing. She wasn't trying to push anything, but... <laughs> Then she finally comes in and we are asking for the ultrasound and she is saying, well, it's an ultrasound assisted procedure. So we'll be able to see what's happening as we're in. And we're like, yes, I get that. But I've also been in the process. Like at this point, it's not constant anymore. So I know I went through what was the worst of the worst. I know my body did a lot. And so yeah. if if there is still and I and I get it, some people they do try laboring on their own and a month passes and they still weren't able to get a lot of the baby out on their own. And so you do need extra help. That happens a month. Like put this, your mind, like a miscarriage is not a day. And, yes. and so I, so I got that, but I just wanted to know how much, how necessary is this DNC? Is there anything else that we can do? And so, because at this point you also hear and even though, so when I talked to my friend who had the DNC, she said, you know, they've done this so many times. The risk, though there is risk there, there is potential uterine rupture and I want to have another baby. So I, I do not want to risk well, uterine rupture. Uterine rupture would be very rare, but even just damage to the uterine wall. Like yeah. a baby needs to implant on the uterine wall when it's conceived. And so 
Yeah, any anything. damage, any yeah. damage to the cervix, like anything. And you, none of that was communicated. None of those risks were communicated. And though she said that those are so minimal because they do them all the time, I wouldn't necessarily worry about that. But she that. only said that when we brought it up. Like she didn't bring up any of those no, risks. No, my, my girlfriend. Oh, your girlfriend. I was yeah. going to say that the OB, like we started asking about that and then she kind of talked a little bit about it. Yeah, barely. No, but my friend, I felt like I got more information from her. Yeah. <laughs> and... And she said, however, though, if you can't avoid it, then definitely get the ultrasound first and see, you know, what happened. And so reluctantly, she found an ultrasound machine. Yeah. I mean, I said something to her about it and said, like, if she's been laboring for 12 hours already, like, don't you think that she could pass the rest of this tissue or do it with some sort of medication? And then she kind of looks at me and she said, we'll do the ultrasound first, like with a little eye roll. And I'm just... I don't want to say exactly what I'm thinking in my head because I'm just like, you expletive. We, like, she has been going through this for hours and hours. Like, you at least can try and not act disappointed that we're not just going ahead with the plan that you had in your head and do an ultrasound to see what shows up. And guess what? She gets an ultrasound. No tissue is left in the uterus. No. Nothing that she could see in the uterus. All of the fetal tissue had passed to or through the cervix and was now in the vaginal canal. The cervix being the exit point of the uterus and then the vaginal canals starts as soon as you get out of the uterus. And so, and then she kind of looks at us after doing that ultrasound and is just like, wow, thank you for pushing for the ultrasound so much. And I'm just like, again, more frustrations of just not completely listening or seeing somebody where they're at or asking, asking questions, questions. <laughs> like just this is what huge. we're going to do I, you know and I and I just feel for someone in that situation who has no idea and what to ask and is just going to go ahead and like my girlfriend who still had the DNC did have reaction to the anesthesia so even if it's not <laughs> you know a reaction to the the actual procedure could still be a reaction to the anesthesia. You're still getting put under. There's still risk in all of it. It's still a surgery. So if you can avoid it at all costs, then I do recommend avoiding it. And so I am so grateful that we didn't have to do that. She ended up just confirming with an ultrasound technician. She said, even though I, I can do this, I just want to confirm with an ultrasound technician. She, ultrasound technician confirmed that it was just small was also great she was probably she one was of my great. top favorite people that we encountered in the hospital yeah and she confirmed it was in the cervix and so they literally laid me on my back and she used a spectrum to just uh go in and take that the little remaining piece out save it as a biopsy piece that they can test um and because at first it was like okay well if you don't do the dnc maybe we give you the medication you stay here overnight so we monitor you. Yeah, then they were trying to... And there was, a, there was just so much different talk. And, and in the end, she was able to just remove that uh, main piece and, and say, you can go home. No medication, no DNC. Your body did majority of it. Yeah. Which, again, that's where I say as much as I felt in the moment of, would I ever be able to trust my body to create life? My body is so smart and worked the way that it was supposed to for whatever reason that I might not ever understand, but 
it was there to process and to work with me and to and to to work with me I mean it, it did its job and I'm so extremely grateful and now with that being said that yes it all like the baby passed the main tissues the big tissues passed I am still bleeding and we are a week later I am still cramping I can't go on like a 30 minute walk without feeling severe cramping um, which is hard. If anyone knows me, I work mm-hmm. out and I love to sweat. I love to feel my muscles, my body, and I can't do that right now. And that is s- mentally also so difficult, but it's even harder when I'm asked, do you want to work out? Do you want to go on a walk? Do you want to do this? And I just don't. I, I get that people don't understand the impact of your body, but I think rather than asking those questions, ask someone how they're doing because yeah. physically, mentally, all of it, a miscarriage is not just a miscarriage. It is a loss. It is a physical traumatic event. It is trauma that lasts. I've had women who've now reaching out who've gone through it five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago that tell me how much in the forefront of their mind it still is and how much they think about their baby all the time. So I think, you know, again, it's not just this miscarriage. It's not just a passive tissue. It is a loss of a baby. I'm proud of you for sharing all that, for going through that. And I mean, we're grateful for you all or whoever's listening to be listening through this and being a part of our healing journey in this and really just hoping that if you've been through something like this, if you are planning on trying to conceive or have a child, um, if you have ever been through something traumatic in a hospital that you maybe just pick up a few things on how to advocate for yourself on how to navigate really traumatic emotionally stressful situations and still be able to ask questions and advocate for yourself that can be really really challenging and you want to do a part two i think that we're going to do a part two episode That'll come out next week just on um, how to receive somebody or how to be there for somebody who is going through something traumatic, whether it be a miscarriage or whether it be any sort of loss loss or trauma in life. Um, Because, again, that's something that we're still going through, too. And that's something that we're trying to do and be there for each other in and within. And that is also presents a lot of challenges, but a lot of great growth opportunities in your relationship. So thank you for tuning in for this episode. Thank you for being a part of our journey and support system and community. Um, And tune in for the next episode if you want to hear more about uh, that healing process through traumatic loss.